Chapters twenty two and twenty three of Lost for Love by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter twenty two. Ay, so delicious is the unsating food that men who might have towered in the van of all the congregated world to fan and winnow from the coming step of time, all chaff of custom, wipe away all slime left by men's slugs and human serpentry have been content to let occasion die whilst they did sleep in love's elysium flora was established in a new home the lodging which mrs ollivant had chosen in obedience to her son's telegram she had not made by any means a bad selection and even flora to whom all the outer world wore a mournful empty look as if nature had assumed one pervading tone of melancholy grey even flora confessed that these apartments in kensington gore were very nice and that the view of the park from the drawing-room windows was pretty but in her heart of hearts flora felt that she would have preferred fitzroy square she would have found a mournful consolation in looking out of the window and remembering how many times a day she had seen walter pass in conjuring his shadow out of empty air and fancying she saw him go by she liked to feed her grief she petted it and made much of it took the skeleton out of its hiding-place every night when she was alone and fondled it and fell asleep tearful with the bony creature in her arms and hugged it in her dreams before her father she affected serenity or even cheerfulness she ministered to him she talked to him walked in kensington gardens with him though the placid beauty of those groves and lawns and still smooth water was loathsome to her she never forgot dr ollivant's warning if she wanted to preserve her father's life to lengthen his days she must not afflict him by the knowledge of her misery she must lock the door of her heart's secret chamber and pretend to forget mr chamney had been to fitzroy square and had made all possible inquiries about the missing painter walter's landlady had received no tidings of him there were his goods and chattels his easel his unfinished pictures pictures that were to have brought him fame just as he had left them his desk his books his pipes his foolish little extravagances emblems of youth and folly all undisturbed had he lived he would surely have claimed these things which seemed a part of himself mr chamney went down to the city and saw mr maravilla he too had received no tidings haven't seen him for three months said the shipbroker lets his money accumulate he's been getting ten per cent out of the sir galahad lucky fellow everything ferguson touched always turned to gold and i suppose it's the same with his nephew i wish i could find out what has become of him sighed mark and then told the story of walter leyburne's disappearance odd said mr maravilla but perhaps not so bad as you think a young man's escapade very likely he may have had his reasons for keeping out of the way i hope not said mark i'd rather think him dead than a deceiver and deserter i believe he loved my little girl and that nothing less than death could have parted them mr maravilla shrugged his shoulders doubtfully young men do such queer things nowadays he remarked i always thought young leyburne was rather wild mark chamney went home sorrowful there was no comfort here for him to take to his darling happily she seemed to be overcoming her grief she smiled at him with almost the old smile she fed and cherished her birds she sat with an open book before her sometimes and appeared to read it was only dr ollivant's watchful eye which noted how rarely she turned the leaves 
how vacant was the gaze she fixed upon the lines dr ollivant spent all his evenings at kensington he altered his dinner hour from half-past seven to half-past six he cheated himself of rest and study he robbed his mother of the society she loved best in the world for the privilege of sitting in the quiet little drawing-room in kensington gore watchful earnest thoughtful bent on one business the cure of this wounded heart he who knew so much of cardiac disease held to the belief that this disease was not organic that the innocent heart might once again beat with tranquil pulsation once again find joy in domestic affection and simple girlish pleasures to console flora was the task he had set himself and while consoling to win her for his own love so real must conquer all things he thought there should be no foolish outburst of passion like that untimely avowal in the devonian burial-ground calm as the motion of the starry spheres should be his progress without haste without rest his only hope of success was to interest the dormant mind to teach the head to cure the wounds of the heart he observed that flora had fallen into habits of indolence a pervading lassitude an indifference to all things save her father's comfort and health habits that were strange to that bright active young life she had never touched pencils or cut her box since her lover's disappearance and cuthbert ollivant was too wise to counsel a return to the old artistic efforts gulnare with her scarlet fez and scarlet lips blue-black hair and almond-shaped eyes lay buried at the bottom of flora's deepest trunk and with gulnare many a poor sketch whose every line recalled the guiding hand which had helped her the bright head with its waving auburn hair so often bent over her shoulder the friendly voice that had directed and praised no flora would never paint again there was a piano in the kensington gore drawing-room a broadwood sent in by the doctor but that piano might as well have been a dumb waiter or a stage piano innocent of strings or hammers flora rarely touched the keys how could she sing when every song every ballad would have recalled the old happy evenings the life that was fled once in a way she would play some mournful melody some tender pathetic air of mozart's or beethoven's but the music affected her too deeply moved her to tears the doctor saw that she must have some kind of employment some occupation which would beguile her from this brooding sorrow the only question was what form the distraction should take music and painting were alike impossible if dr ollivant had been a religious man he would have persuaded flora to go to church twice a day and spend her leisure in visiting the sick and poor but religion did not form an important part in the doctor's life he went to church once every sunday and thanked an overruling providence in a general way for his success in life and he had never gone deep enough into theological questions to become an infidel he determined to develop this poor child's intellect to teach her something that literature which he knew best was for the most part classical he tried to interest her in the roman poets to open the gates of a new world he proposed to teach her latin a dull dry business enough perhaps at first but something for her to achieve difficulties for her to grapple with work to do he brought a translation of horace one evening and read some of the odes but before beginning he gave flora a vivid sketch of the horatian period the world in which the poet lived and moved described those wondrous cities villas gardens fountains chariot races gladiatorial combats brought before her all the glory and brightness of old rome and then read the purest and best of the odes he does not seem to have been happy said flora noting the minor strain in the music 
Perhaps not, according to a young person's notion of happiness. He knows the world too well not to know that kind of happiness to be purely mythical, fabulous as that picture of life before Pandora opened her casket. But if not happy, he was wise. He knew the limits of man's capacity for joy, and made the most of life. I like his poetry, but I don't like him very much. Was he young and handsome? inquired Flora with languid curiosity. Not always, answered the doctor discreetly. He was too wise to inform her just yet that the bard was somewhat ill-favoured and of a stumpy figure. Shouldn't you like to read Horace in Latin? You can have no idea of his power until you know the language he wrote in. The best of translations is mere jingle compared with the music of the original. It doesn't look very interesting, said Flora, glancing at the doctor's Latin copy. There seem to be a good many long words ending in ibis and quay but I'll try to learn Latin if you like. It might please Papa to see me going on with my education. It would indeed, darling, cried Mark, who understood his friend's motive. Then I'll bring a Latin grammar tomorrow evening, and we'll make a beginning. The beginning was made, and with the doctor's help was a very good beginning. His logical brain simplified all details. Flora found that there was some interest even in Latin grammar. Strange as it may seem, she derived more comfort from the four conjugations than from all the hackneyed consolations that friends could have offered. The doctor did his utmost to make the road easy, did not bind her down to the dry details of grammar, or nauseate her appetite for knowledge by keeping her too long to the slave who shuts the gate and the citizen who cultivates the garden. He gave her a Horatian ode almost at the beginning, and by that one lyric showed her the genius of the language, and awakened her interest in the study. Even though he saw her pleased and interested, willing to labor at verbs and exercises in the day, and eager for her evening lessons on Horace, he took care not to fatigue her or exhaust her interest. "'We will only give Horace two evenings a week,' he said. "'I must find some fresh means of amusing you on the other evenings.' He brought his books and taught her a little astronomy, awakened the organ of wonder by exhibiting to her that wide unknown world of the spheres.' Here again her interest was quickly aroused, for the doctor was no dry-as-dust teacher. He contrived to enlist her sympathies for the mighty host of discoverers from Ptolemy downwards. He told her the history of those darker arts which mystics and false prophets of old time had associated with the starry heavens. Knowledge so new beguiled her into temporary forgetfulness of that one absorbing sorrow. Mark wondered to see her eyes sparkle and her cheeks flush when the doctor expounded the strange and complex movements of those unknown worlds, and revealed to his wondering pupil the infinity of distance and time in that undiscovered sky. He was careful not to overtax the young student's brain, yet stretched the cord to its fullest tension, knowing that while the mind worked the heart must rest, even if that rest were but the dull leaden sleep of a heart empty of all joy. Not too often did he occupy her thoughts by that most awe-inspiring of all sciences, the study of the stars. On some evenings he brought her rare flowers and showed her the mysteries of floral anatomy. Once, when he had brought her an orchid of peculiar loveliness, a pinkish waxen-petaled blossom like a floral butterfly, she clasped her hands with something of the old childlike joyfulness and exclaimed, "'Oh, that is too lovely to die unremembered. I must paint it.' "'Do!' said the doctor pleased you cannot imagine how i should value such a sketch only for a moment had she forgotten no i shall never paint again she said with that quiet sadness which springs from deepest feeling
Chapter Twenty Three. No tear relieved the burden of her heart. Stunned with the heavy woe, she felt like one half wakened from a midnight dream of blood. Flora's acquaintance for the popular Latin poet had only just commenced when she was surprised one morning by a visit from a person whom she had never seen before and whose right to approach her was questionable. It was a fine, warm August morning, and Mark Chamney had gone to the city on business, loath to leave his daughter indoors in such balmy weather. "'You'll go for a walk in the gardens, won't you, my pet, with Tiny? Tiny wants a run.' Tiny was a miniature terrier, whose feet and tail seemed to have been borrowed from his natural enemy, the rat. A black and tan terrier, with a sleek loose skin, whereby he might be lifted off the ground without injury to his feelings, a skin a size and a half too large for him a misfit which was supposed to be a sign of his high breeding as also his damp small nose and the sparseness of hair on his small round head this animal mr chamney had presented to his daughter as a companion and consoler and youth is frivolous there were moments when flora derived comfort from the blandishments of tiny very well papa darling i'll take a little run with tiny good-bye dear you won't walk too fast or overheat yourself or sit in a four-wheeled cab with both windows open or go too many hours without a biscuit and a glass of sherry no baby i'll be as careful as an old woman and i hope to be home again between two and three flora accompanied her father to the hall door nay to the gate of the little forecourt and kissed him in the face of the kensington road to the admiration of some young gentleman on the knife-board of a passing omnibus and then she went back to the empty drawing-room and walked up and down once or twice listlessly and looked out of all the three windows one after another without taking the slightest notice of tiny and felt that life was desolate happily she had promised to write a latin exercise for the doctor so after a little despondent idleness she took out her books pen and ink and began about the hostages and the slaves and the messengers and the ships and boys and girls and citizens and old men and was soon absorbed in the difficulties of her task she was still plodding patiently on with perpetual recourse to her vocabulary when the housemaid brought her a card a stiff little card of that small size which is generally masculine but this card bore a feminine inscription mrs gurner ladies wardrobe eleven voysey street fitzroy square n b liberal terms given for ladies cast off wearing apparel ladies waited on at their own residences an elderly lady miss asked to see you flora stared at the card with a bewildered air two words in it awakened her interest fitzroy square any one coming from fitzroy square had a claim upon her attention they might tell her something about walter the faint faint tinge of slowly returning health left her cheeks at that agitating thought i don't know this person she said but i'll see her you can show her up mrs gurner appeared presently not the everyday mrs gurner of voysey street but a revised and beautified edition of the same work bound in plum-coloured satin mrs gurner had availed herself of her stock and trade to prepare for this visit she wore the immemorial satin the wine stains on the front breadth cruelly visible in the garish light of an august noontide her stately shoulders were draped with a french cashmere ancient but once splendid the curiously blended hues of its pine border subdued by time her bonnet was purple velvet with a yellow-tailed bird of paradise gorgeous if unseasonable her gloves were black lace revealing the lean claw-like hands they pretended to cover 
she carried that relic of dark ages a black velvet reticule and an antique green parasol thus attired and feeling herself equal to the requirements of kensington gore mrs gurner saluted flora with a stately bend and solemn dip of the minuet de la cour period i have taken the liberty to call miss chamney she began thinking that to a young lady of your means and position it might be a convenience to be able to dispose of your cast-off clothing articles which you might be tired of and might even consider shabby would be valuable in my business and i am prepared to give you liberal terms for them you come from fitzroy square i think said flora looking at the card in her hand from the immediate neighbourhood of fitzroy square replied mrs gurner with an air of scrupulous exactitude voysey street a locality which like myself and family has seen better days please sit down said flora kindly what made you call on me mrs gurner smoothed out the plum-coloured satin before seating herself glancing complacently at its purple sheen a dress which any one might feel proud of i had heard of your pa's taking the house in fitzroy square miss chamney and of his being a wealthy gentleman from the colonies and it had occurred to me that it was only natural you and me should do a little business advantageous to both relieving you of superfluous articles in your wardrobe young ladies of your ample means take a pleasure in buying new dresses and naturally get tired of them before they're worn out but i put off calling week after week on account of the pressure of business and when i did call a few days ago i was informed by your housekeeper that you was at kensington for change of air well says i having set my mind on doing business with miss chamney i won't be first-rated so i walk down to piccadilly a long walk on a warm morning and step into the kensington bus and i hope miss having come so far you won't refuse to do business with me i am sorry faltered flora but i couldn't possibly sell my clothes i should think it horrible when i have done with my things i give them away to servants and people for whose station in life your clothes are not suitable have you ever reflected how many pretty little things laces and ribbons and so on you might buy with the money you could get for your cast-off dresses no answered flora with a sigh remembering what idle frippery ribbons and laces had seemed to her since she lost walter no i shouldn't care for anything i bought in that way besides i have no occasion to make any such bargains papa is always ready to give me more money than i want ah said mrs gurner with a dismal sigh that comes of being an only child reared in the lap of luxury it's very different for some of us that profound sigh and mrs gurner's doleful look awakened flora's ready compassion i'm sorry you should be so disappointed she faltered if half a sovereign would compensate you for your wasted trouble i shall be very happy she opened her purse a toy of ivory and gold one of her father's many gifts mrs gurner shed tears half sovereigns are not plentiful where i come from she said and i'll not allow my pride to reject your kindness but i didn't come here wholly on business there was something that lay nearer my heart i've wished to see you this ever so long but why did you wish to see me asked flora puzzled mrs gurner shook her head and sighed transferred the half-sovereign to an old leather purse sighed again and shook her head again it's foolish perhaps 
she said in a slow musing way contemplating flora's gentle face with a fixed and meditative gaze but i had a daughter my only daughter or at least the only girl i ever reared and she went out to the colonies and died there young i've always felt an interest in any one connected with the colonies on that account and hearing that your pa had been in australia you were born in australia i suppose yes but i was sent home when i was very little i can't remember anything before i came to england you can't remember your ma no said flora sadly you've got a picture of her perhaps no there is only one in the world and papa wears that in a locket again mrs gurner sighed looked out of the window dreamily as one who looks backward through the mist of years my girl was very pretty she said a girl who might have done well anywhere steady and clever and always the lady she wasn't a gurner she was a little in your style same coloured hair and eyes and such sweet ways the best of daughters but something happened that she took very much to heart it wasn't anything that happened to her poor child or by any fault of hers and she said mother i feel as if i couldn't breathe in england after that and she went out to australia with a young female friend which was left an orphan and had a brother settled out there in the building line she begged and prayed of me to go but i said no mary i've my feelings as a mother but i've my son in england and i can't cut myself in two besides which i haven't the constitution for the sea voyage she was a good girl to me was our mary and the first money she ever earned she sent me half of it and sent me many a little help afterwards but god took her away very soon i never saw her pretty face again forgive me for troubling you miss chamney but it's a kind of consolation to talk to any one connected with the colonies mrs gurner had wept at intervals throughout this speech and flora had been moved to pity for this ancient female whose plum-coloured satin raiment and solicitations to barter had at first disgusted her those womanly tears won her compassion and even respect with quick tact she divined that it would comfort this desolate old woman to talk to her of her lost daughter she did not pause to consider that mrs gurner was an intruder that her presence in that drawing-room was a supreme impertinence she saw an elderly woman before her sorrowful and in tears and her only instinct was to console where did your daughter settle in what part of australia she was in hobart town mostly that was where my dear mother came from said flora but she went elsewhere before she died i don't remember the name of the place my memory's very poor she married and had a daughter that may have grown up into just such a young lady as you don't you know her haven't you seen her your own granddaughter no my dear young lady there are circumstances family circumstances that have kept me and that granddaughter apart there's compilations which i can't explain to a young lady like you but i should feel i was doing that dear granddaughter an injury if i intruded myself upon her and there's very little good i could do her to compensate for that injury so i've learned to subsidize my own feelings and keep aloof from her but it struck me one day that it would be a comfort to me to see you being almost similarly circumstanced so i made bold to join business and a grandmother's feelings and came down here to call upon you and i hope you'll forgive me miss chamney i don't think there's anything for me to forgive said flora gently 
i feel truly sorry for you strangers as we are strangers yes to be sure murmured mrs gurner dabbing her tearful eyes with a ragged valenciennes bordered handkerchief whose corner exhibited a coronet i can feel your regrets for i have had a great sorrow myself lately said flora mournfully ah my sweet young lady the world's full of sorrow even the rich can't always escape it though they come off light in many things and at your age the heart is acceptable of suffering mrs gurner meant susceptible might it have been an unhappy attachment she inquired insinuatingly we have lost a dear friend papa and i faltered flora dear dear lately dead perhaps we do not even know if he is dead sometimes i try to hope that he is still living that he will come back to us some day we only know that he is gone very sad sighed mrs gurner contemplating flora with an inquisitive eye but a young lady with your advantages beauty and wealth has no call to fret for the loss of one friend or for the falsehood of one friend the world is full of friends and lovers for such as you flora looked grave and felt that she had allowed this plum-coloured person to go too far she began to wonder how she was to get rid of mrs gurner who showed no signs of departure laura my dear young lady that matron began with a philosophical air if you only knew how little good there is in young men nowadays how much badness and double-dealing and selfishness and mercenariness you'd never fret after one of them a person in my station a person that has been brought up as a lady and been drifted down in the world sees behind the scenes of life i'm sure there's a young gentleman i used to see a good deal of a month or so ago quite the gentleman in most of his ways though lowering himself to the level of a pack of artists about our neighbourhood quite the gentleman affable free with his money a young man one couldn't help liking but hollow nothing genuine in him all ginger pop flora looked pained embarrassed played with her exercise book and glanced beseechingly at mrs gurner as much as to say please go perhaps one didn't ought to expect stability of character from an artist mused the intruder a man whose mind was given up to the last picture he had in hand flora looked up pale and startled as if the world held only one painter but when a young man comes in and out of your place and makes himself at home with you and is friendly and pleasant it's hard to shut your door upon him this mr leyburne employed my son in doing up some old pictures for him and paid liberally it wasn't my place to object to his visits even if i did see that his coming so often had a bad effect upon my granddaughter as handsome a girl as you'd meet at the end of town and a prudent young woman into the bargain flora's white face stared at the speaker in dumb amazement but mrs gurner went on as if unconscious that her words had any unpleasant effect upon her hearer i warned our loo against setting store by any of mr leyburne's wild speeches his praises of her beauty and such like she was the model for his last picture and he came day after day to paint at our place and he and she were as happy together and i left him as free as if they'd been brother and sister a prudent young woman brought up by a careful grandmother is above being watched and suspected i didn't watch louisa i didn't suspect her but i warned her against building upon anything mr leyburne might say to her and the upshot has proved the truth of my words 
six weeks ago mr leyburne turned his back upon us and has never crossed the threshold of our doors since there was a pause a silence of a minute or so before flora was able to speak and you have heard nothing of him do not even know what has become of him she inquired at last no more than the unborn babe i've gone so far as to inquire at his lodgings in fitzroy square but he hasn't been heard of even there now it strikes me that he felt he'd gone too far with our loo i know he was fond of her and that as he couldn't bring himself to marry a young woman in such reduced circumstances he thought the wisest thing for her and for himself was to go clean away there's countries enough in the world where a man can go and never be heard of in england again and yet have all the enjoyments and agreements of life he is dead perhaps said flora in half a whisper well i've sometimes thought of that i'd almost sooner believe him dead than think him that cold-blooded he could turn his back upon our loo and leave her to break her heart for him is she very sorry asked flora in the same unnatural whisper she's never been the same girl since we lost sight of him and do you think he really loved her i don't think it replied mrs gurner solemnly i know it another pause during which flora sat motionless looking blindly at the opposite window the blue summer sky the ragged elm branches tossing to and fro in the light west wind oh fond foolish dream of love and fidelity gone for ever this bereavement was almost worse than the first loss i won't intrude upon you any longer miss chamney said mrs gurner rising with her stateliest air and spreading her purple robe around her i didn't ought to obtrude my family troubles upon you but your kindness and sympathy opened the floodgates of my sorrow i humbly ask forgiveness and wish you good morning flora tottered to the bell rang it with uncertain hand and then as the door closed upon mrs gurner flung herself on the ground not upon the couch or into mark's capacious easy-chair but on the ground itself in deepest abasement what was left her now not even memory not the sad sweet belief that she had once been blessed he never loved me she told herself when he asked me to be his wife he was sacrificing his own inclination to please papa he loved that common girl that dreadful woman's granddaughter loved her with a low common love for her handsome face why should i mourn his death why should i feel that the world is empty because he is dead he is lost to the world but not to me he was never mine End of chapters twenty two and twenty three